Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's my privilege to welcome back a returning guest, Dr. Brian Sims. Brian and I were colleagues at Asbury Seminary for over a decade. Brian has a PhD in organizational leadership from Regent University, and he's the author of the newly released Leading Together, The Holy Possibility of Harmony and Synergy in the Face of Change. Brian's a coach, and a consultant, and he works with Spiritual Leadership, Inc., as well as has his own coaching practice. You can find out more about Brian at briandsims.com. This is a really important conversation because Brian is an expert on adaptive leadership and leading through change, and the last two years have brought us all kinds of challenges. What I love about Brian is that he links together spiritual formation and makes that the starting place for authentic, powerful, and effective leadership as followers of Jesus. Let's jump into the conversation. Hey, Brian, welcome to the show. It's so great to see you. Thank you. So good to be with you, Brian. And congratulations on your new book, Leading Together, The Holy Possibility of Harmony and Synergy in the Face of Change. Can can you just, yeah, yeah. Can you tell just a little bit about the story that led you to writing that book? And I'm really curious. uh, I mean, the leading together part, I think I can imagine where we're going to go and we'll get into some of that. But I love the subtitle, The Holy Possibility of Harmony and Synergy in the Face of Change. So talk about the, how you got to that sub, that subtitle and, you know, what you're trying to tease out there and, you know, how you got to this point in your life and you're writing this book on the leading together. Well, thank you. Well, I, I mean, a, a lot of it for me, this is, it's been fun because this book is a, uh, it's, it's kind of a synthesis of 22 years of, of coaching leaders and, and uh, even, even longer than that of being, you know, pastoring in churches and, and leading leaders and then teaching in a seminary and all of these different environments of being around leaders and, and how we get stuck in the, I'm the one in control kind of mode of leadership and um, is that really a biblical model? How do we get to something that looks more like leading together? Um, that for me looks more like the way God leads, Father, Son, and Spirit. And uh, but we see a lot of evidence of of, of leading together throughout the Scripture. The uh, the subtitle for me is um, you know that when we it, it's pretty common in leadership circles to to have people imagine a different kind of future. Uh, what are the possibilities? What's the vision God has called you to? What's the um, but it's not always holy possibilities. It's sometimes the kinds of things that we can create and hope God will bless. Um, and in the season of disruptive change that we're in right now, post-COVID, maybe post-COVID, um, but certainly whatever this world is we're in now is different than what we had two years ago prior to COVID. And it doesn't look like we're ever going back. And so what are the possibilities when you're, in, when, when you're facing change? And but it's more than just possibility. It is what is God doing? If God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, Ephesians 3.20, then could we imagine holy possibilities? Um, And what would it look like to move toward those? What is that journey from where we are through all the challenges and into a different kind of holy possibility? Um, then for me, the, the harmony and synergy that show up there for one, I'm a a musician myself. 
Um, I use a primarily jazz music metaphor throughout the book as a way to describe leading together and um, pull in some other uh, genres as well here and there. But um, as a musician myself, fascinated with this, um, the beauty of harmony and um, the, but, but in jazz music, that improvisation and harmony and, and leading, to, leading and following together, going back and forth, back and forth, it's kind of hard to see who's, who's really in charge most of the time. Um, and, but the beauty of that kind of harmony requires tremendous trust, a lot of discipline, a lot of creativity, a lot of, and we need that sort of stuff in the day we live in now, but harmony often as a word, um, outside of its music context, um, typically feels like a relational dynamic. We have harmony with one another, uh, but it doesn't necessarily, necessarily speak to the um, the synergy, the possibility of synergy together. And so uh, those two things linked together, it's kind of both sides it's, uh, of, of that, of the relational dynamic of leading together is that we have both harmony of relationship, but we also have synergy of purpose um, and that, that we're moving in a direction. So using that throughout the book of that, that what does unity really look like? It's both relational as well as responsibility. It's love and purpose. And that's where we get both harmony as well as synergy. And we all know what that feels like. When there's disharmony, we know what it feels like of relationship. But we also know what it feels like when you're working within a group of people, team, an organization, whatever, and one plus one really just still equals two. And we know what it feels like. And I don't know if you heard this. Uh, I don't even know who came up with this, but I keep hearing this reference to one times one equals 11 instead of one. And unfortunately, that's what we get in most contexts is we get one times one equals one. It's like, well, there's two people in the room, but we still weren't, there's no synergy whatsoever. And the possibility of both harmony and synergy when we're walking through the greatest adaptive challenges together um, and learning how to lead together with deep trust, as well as um, creativity, innovation, um, those those things together is, is kind of the seeds of that title. I also I have to say that, um, you know, my original subtitle looks more like a uh, dissertation because I've done so much work in the academic world um, and uh, it wasn't inspiring or catchy at all. And so it was uh, a number of, of deep friends that uh, that helped me leading together was pretty solid. But this subtitle really came out of uh, conversation with others. It was an it was an experience of leading together with others. Um, and not just relying on my own intuition and creativity. It wasn't enough. I did not have what it takes to come up with something that um, even in my subtitle of my own book, that, that was what uh, needed to happen. I needed the help of others to do so. That's really good. And uh, in the writing process, and I think that's why a lot of academic books are actually horrible to read. It's, and, and probably three times as long as they actually should be because I mean, you know, we can make fun of academics because we both are or, or right. have been or whatever, but, but we always think our words are so beautiful and uh, and then uh, and we don't want anybody editing anything when in fact, if you do exactly what you just said, you just take some really powerful feedback from people that know marketing and know communication. It makes uh, things uh, so much better. My editor, my Centering Prayer book is excellent because I had an editor that really liked my book and I, and I basically told him, um, I want this book to do really well. I'm an academic and I will do anything that you tell me to do that can make this book more accessible to more folks. And that was beautiful to actually do that. And, um, you know, when I read the book and just compared to my other stuff, I'm like, 
Wow. You know, so, yeah. I mean, I think it's cool that you well, practice what you preach, right? Very much the same experience for me with my editor and the team that was working with me around the book itself. It's like, I, I didn't, yeah, what's there now? It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been what's there now if it weren't for team around so it. And so, yeah, it's a real gift. So, so you, you kind of frame things out, I think, in two ways that are really helpful when you use the words um, harmony and, and synergy. And, and I love the, the jazz metaphor, too. And then when you think about like most organizations, you can have organizations that have harmony. Everybody likes each other. And even the leader or the pastor does a great job of, you know, loving everybody. Right. right. And, and then you have the other poll where you have total focus on results. I love how you're using the word synergy because it's more about a bigger purpose than ourselves. But even if we just say results on one side, and then you have like the taskmaster that keeps everybody on point. In, in your work, even as a coach, is one pole easier to work with than the other since you're trying to get kind of a dance between those two things? What are some insights? Because there's people listening that probably have a pretty good vision, but maybe they lack the relational stuff. And then there's a lot of folks that are really good at relationships, but they can't get folks to actually, you know, let's go march on a city or something, right? right. So so what, what's, what's your experience with those two poles to try to get it to more be harmonistic and synergistic at the same time? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the one of the things that seems pretty common is that um, we tend to gather with people that are like us. And so I think of this just in terms of, um, you know, a lot of local churches, for instance, um, if the if the senior pastor and the staff and and the culture of the church is really super pastoral, then it we tend to draw a crowd of people that either really need that or are really drawn to that, that really want to be that as well but we can miss the more missional side of things um, to think about this in the context of like Ephesians chapter four, that we have like a pastor teacher kind of focused congregation, but where are the apostle prophet evangelists? What's fascinating is, and I, I mean, I just came from a church planting conference. Um, I mean, the opposite can also be true. You get around people that are more apostolic, more entrepreneurial, more pioneering. And, and sometimes it's like, Oh, you know, I, yeah, that, that relational stuff is important, but uh, we we got a job to get done. We got we got to reach new people. We've got, and it, so I find it fascinating that that whole organizational cultures tend to get built around often around the personality of a leader for one, um, and but also um, that that culture perpetuates itself even beyond that original leader around uh, instead of even beyond a founder, for instance, and uh, and so we can end up in organizational cultures that are really heavy on one side or the other. What does the balance look like? Obviously, what we see with Jesus is the both and all the way through. Uh, we see that throughout the book of Acts. Um, we see the both and. There's deep relationship. They're sharing everything in common. And there's, you know, they're that that kind of relational context, but they're clearly motivated by a shared purpose together. And there is synergy in the way that they work toward that. There is uh, there is there are positions of leadership. There are people with titles so to speak like apostle but when it comes down to who's leading and who's not there you know it's kind of hard to tell it's like well we raised up these people in act six to be quote-unquote deacons servants but they're preaching the gospel and leading people to jesus and changing nations you know i mean that's it's both and there's deep relationship um as well as we're we're in, we're accountable for mission together this is what we're called to and uh, the mission is what brings us together. In fact, it's not merely friendship. 
but that if we don't have deep harmony, friendship, relationship, accountability, uh, deep community, camaraderie in the midst of the kind of difficult mission that we've been called to, especially in the difficult days that we're in, we're not going to make it. And so the both and is what's so critical. And you start with, uh, and I really appreciate this about your book. Uh, Philippians is one of my f- favorite books in the in the whole Bible, um, always has been. And you do that really nice unpacking of the kenosis passage and even use that language in your book, the emptying of, of Jesus for folks that don't, don't know that Greek word. Why do you start there? I mean, I'm just going to ask the, the question like I, I don't have, can't imagine that, but that seems like that gets to the core of what you just phrased out. So how important is that that concept of emptying both as modeled by Jesus and then for us as leaders to get to that point where we've kind of have a surrendered posture, if you will? Yeah. Well, uh, if there's if, if, if I could name the primary blocker mm-hmm. to the kind of synergy and generative effect, reproductive, multiplying generative effect of the church. The primary blocker that I see in that is that people are not deeply connected to Jesus. They're not experiencing union. The secondary blocker I see to that is that we make leadership and and frankly, all all other things too, we make it too much about ourselves. And when we look at Jesus, he's first and foremost abiding in the Father. I only do what I see the father doing. I only speak what I hear the father speaking. He's, he's empowered by the spirit in every moment. And, and yet, as Paul describes in Philippians chapter two, uh, you know, he, I mean, I, I love this, that Paul's like appealing to people. Have you any, have you any compassion? Have you, have you any deep connection with Jesus? Have you any fellowship with the spirit? Have you any tenderness? then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same mind, being one in spirit and in purpose. There's those two things. Again, we got this relational side of things and this purpose side of things. And then he said, I mean, then he's referring to Jesus, this kenosis him saying, um, though he be fully God, he did not consider equality with, with God as something to be exploited. And there's a key word because how do most of us lead? exploit the position we have utilize that as a way to gain influence jesus of all the people that could have done that chose not to he emptied himself there's that kenosis word and he took the form of a servant now he's in the form of god he took the form of a servant there's the same word he didn't just become like a servant because it looked good on paper because it got him influence with people no he took the very nature characteristics qualities of a servant, of a slave. And in that state, he humbles himself, becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalts him. Notice who's doing the exalting. God does the exalting. Jesus doesn't exalt himself. He never does. The father exalts him, gives him the name that's above every name. And there's a pattern there. Paul is inviting us to have the same mind, to have the same attitude. And so for me, without union, uh, have you been united with Christ? That's why Paul asked that question first before he gets into this kenosis passage. Because if that's not true, that's the primary blocker. And I've experienced in my own life, Brian, I would guess you have too. Every leader that I interact with, every disciple I interact with, we have these moments where we're trying to do things in our own strength and we're not abiding deeply in Jesus. 
And there's the well, there's the secret, there's where fruitfulness comes. But in that place of abiding, and this is not about me, but that emptying of self, that kenosis, the way Jesus did it, he doesn't cease to be himself. He doesn't cease to be God. He just doesn't exploit anything. It's not about him. He doesn't cease to, to live it, who, he, who he is. He doesn't cease to have an identity and a calling. That stuff actually becomes even clearer. And I, unfortunately, in the way we often think about servant leadership in our day, it's like, well, sacrifice everything, including your identity and calling for the sake of somebody else. And there are people just getting walked all over. And that's not Christ-like. But then we have the other side of it that we've made leadership about ourselves. And we're, we've got to be in control. We rely only on our own gifts and intuition and experience and all those kind of things instead of saying, this is God's work. And if it, it ultimately what we need is God's work. We need God to lead. This is the spirit's leadership in our lives, not our leadership. And we need to, we need to follow first. We need to be in that, that frame of reference. And if we can embody that ourselves, but also create the kind of context where others are doing the same, imagine the power, the generative power of a whole team of people, for instance, that are not in it for themselves, that are indeed deeply united with Christ, but are also deeply united with each other and are practicing this emptying of self for the sake of others, for the sake of God's mission, this is an unstoppable force in the world. Um, and for me, it's the secret of leadership, but it's the secret of discipleship as well. So an amen to that. So let's, let's frame out. Cause obviously you can listen to that and think, okay, sign me up. I'm ready. And then, but then, you know, we look around and, you know, we know it, it, ourselves. I mean, I can own that, that I've always haven't been that kind of a leader for much of my career for various reasons. And I've just learned things. I've gotten older and guessing people listening to this could probably say the same thing. So obviously you can paint the picture, then compound that. Now we're in kind of a, at some level, it's been church. Some people would say it's a crisis, the challenges of the pandemic. And you, you, you start the book with some of those pieces too. Um, you know, you, we were even joking about the platform being on fire as kind of a, a metaphor. At the very moment that you, we need exactly what your book lays out, it's probably the scariest time to do it because we all have a tendency to control. We get afraid. So how do you help the persons that you work with to hack their inner game enough? And, and, and you're working with people that love Jesus. So, I mean, yeah. right. So how do you hack the inner operating system that even runs off our own brains enough to even give that to Jesus so that we can get into that space where we can start leading like you do. And again, if you can answer that, I probably owe you a million bucks, I suppose, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but that, but I mean, do you have any thoughts about that? Cause it's, you, cause you, you do so much spiritual formation. So what's right. What has to happen to hack the inside of a person who already thinks that maybe they're sold out for Jesus. Right. Well, to, to the point I hear you making, this is a deep spiritual transformation. It's also a, a, a mind shift. It's a paradigm shift for people. And so it's not going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. If what I'm used to is being in control, if what I'm used to, I mean, I talked, I, I was in a coaching call earlier today with a, a pastor, um, actually a denominational leader. And he's talking about his immediate supervisor. It's like, the dude's got a solution for everything. Got a technical solution for everything. He's got a prescription for, it doesn't matter what it is. He always knows the answer. And the problem is, that most of what we're dealing with right now, we don't know the answer. We just keep pretending like we did. And so how do you crack that nut? Uh, the, the answer for me is I don't. 
I don't even try to. How do you create the space where that nut can be cracked? Because that's that's a Holy Spirit cracking, not a, a coach crack. Um, and so how do you create the space for that? Um, what does it look like to live into true accountable relationships in such a way where we can be vulnerable enough with, with one another? Um, my own stories, I'm glad to share in those moments with folks that I'm coaching and leading uh, because the Lord has had to crack that nut for me and is still doing it and always will be. I am in process. And uh, but inviting the spirit to, to do that work, but also then asking the kind of questions that dig into what are the holy possibilities. And what I find is that most leaders have enough self-awareness, even if they don't demonstrate this in front of people, most leaders have enough self-awareness to say, I can't seem to do everything. I seem to need more help than I wish I did. Or things like right now, get since the pandemic started, I really used to feel confident in my own leadership abilities. And now I don't feel like I know anything. That, that humility, that posture can lead to practices that actually where, where that, that become means of grace, where the Lord can crack that nut, where the spirit can work and, and sanctify us and bring something deeper. Um, not only in our own sense of identity and calling, our own discipleship, but also in our own understanding and practice of leadership. And so for me, I mean, it's one of the greatest joys watching somebody who's been a total control freak, but who really does love Jesus, begin to see those two things as inconsistent with one another. And um, that, that desire for control is probably based in fear. And how do we unearth some of that? How do we talk about it? Then to do that collaboratively, and this is the part that's fun for me, and I love to work one-on-one -on -one with leaders, but most of my work is with teams. And so to watch, I mean, a pastor gets vulnerable about something like that with his or her team, and there's lay people in the room and whatnot. And that, that's the kind of thing that I hear pastors say, oh, I could never do that. I can, that, that you know, I could never be that vulnerable with my, with my people. And my response is always, you're never going to see something generative then. Everything's going to always be about your ideas and what you do. And if you can be vulnerable there and the relational stuff and begin to say, hey, I need some help. What's funny is that most leaders think that asking for help and saying they don't know fully what they're doing around, especially big, like adaptive challenge things, most leaders feel like that's going to thwart their authority. And in reality, what it does is just the opposite. Nine times out of 10, what it does is that people go, we've known he was human all along. Now, apparently he knows it too. <laughs> and it starts a journey of real friendship for people and real accountability that can, you know, be a, once again, a means of grace and a, a way that, that God continues to crack that nut. But it also gives permission to others to do the same. Because uh, every one of us are dealing with these kinds of things in our lives. Every one of us, even those of us that are not quote unquote control freaks, all of us have control issues because all of us are afraid of something. And uh, if, if I'm understanding what it means to be a true follower of Jesus, I, you know, me being in control does not sound like Jesus is Lord. And to think about it that simply, that practically, 
but to have the kind of environment where we can talk about that together um, and be accountable, pray for each other. And, you know, that's, that's where it starts. It's also why this is not, it's not going to be a short process. This is not, we don't get to microwave this, like, you know, what are the five steps to becoming, you know, shifting from a solo heroic leader to a team leader that this is not going to happen overnight. This is going to be a long process for most of us. That's, that's so good. I mean, I just love the, the, um, just the rawness of everything you just said. I know we only have a little bit of time. So I'm gonna ask you one bigger question. We'll do a couple of quick things at the end, but Great. so I think that maybe the lot, the best question to, to, to end with, and again, folks check out leading together. Brian has really distilled the wisdom that he's gained over his whole career. And there's good stuff in here beyond way beyond what even we have a chance to touch base on here. So you said the word vulnerability, right? And that's, that's the scary word. And, you know, and then you also even name that people often see that. So somebody's listening here, they've realized, geez, I don't know what to do. Um, I don't know how to get my church to work anymore. You know, if somebody would just tell me what to do. I would do it. Um, speaking to that leader, how could they, what's your advice on how to be even a little bit more vulnerable just to get the process going of building this kind of relational uh, trust that's going to be needed and accountability. So what's your tip if somebody's just thinking, I just need to get started here, other than calling you on the phone and having them be, you be their coach, which it's not a bad idea. And we'll talk about that later too. But uh, like, what's, what, how do you, how do you, what's the steps to becoming more vulnerable that you found are effective for leaders? Well, I mean, as, as simple and as silly as this sounds, um, to, and this could be with a group of leaders, like in a, you know, in a, a leadership council or something that you have in church, it could also be from the pulpit mm -hmm. to actually name the fact that the world has changed a lot in the last couple of years. And I used to be an expert and now I'm not. And this may come as a surprise to all of you, but I don't really know what to do next. I need some help. That feels like an abdication of leadership to most people. But the way most parishioners hear that is like a breath of fresh air. Wow. Now, once again, you have to have wisdom as to where to do that. A leadership council meeting may be better than the pulpit. But... I often go into examples of uh, every school board president's having to say that in the last two years. If they didn't, they're probably not doing very well now as a school system. Every CEO has had to say that in the last two years. Every president of a country or governor of a state has had to do that in the last two years. Um, every CEO. And so to think about it in that context, like, um, I am no longer the expert around here because no one is. We're going to have to learn together. And, and in a more biblical sense, we're going to have to discern together. It's the reason why I use the book of Acts as my primary case study throughout the, uh, throughout the book leading together, because that's exactly what they're facing. They don't have a playbook. They don't have sheet music to read off of in order to know what to do next. They're literally having to figure it out from chapter to chapter to chapter throughout the book of Acts. And rather than lean on, you know, hey, Peter, just tell us what to do. Or, hey, Paul, just tell us what to do. They don't do it that way. Because Peter and Paul don't know what to do. 
They've never done this before. They're literally having to put the challenge out on the table and say, okay, we're going to have to discern and pray and talk and figure it out. And we're going to have to try some new stuff and not everything's going to work. And we're going to make our plans and then the spirit may interrupt it. Paul has this happen pretty regularly, right? He's like, I'm going this way. And he's thinking strategically. He's using his brain. He's loving the Lord with all his mind. His, his team is, you know, they're, they're working on this together. But to then say, oh, the spirit said, nope, don't go there. Go here. Okay, well, that's not, not our plan, but we're going we're gonna to do what the Lord is telling us to do. It's that kind of discernment, peering from the Lord. And, uh, and so um, it's a long answer to your question, but it starts with the, I don't know. It starts with the, the humility, the vulnerability to say, I used to really know what to do because we lived in equilibrium. Now we live in dis disequilibrium and I don't know what to do anymore. I wonder if some of you would like to help. And um, that's, that can be the beginning of what leads to process that allows people to build trust as well as to reimagine and experiment, discern our way into the future. No, that's good. And, and thank you. I want to be mindful of the time. And I think that is a, I mean, we could go on and I would love to pick your brain again. So I'll have to have you come back on and we'll talk some more, but I think that's a great place to start. And, you know, I, and I just love that. Um, yeah. Th let's, let's be the leader that has the guts to say, um, I don't know. I need your help. Let's put our brains together and find the, the pathway forward, find the new, new thing. So thank you for doing that. Again, I want to recommend everyone leading together the holy possibility of harmony and synergy in the face of change. Where's the best place to pick that uh, resource up, Brian, and how can folks get in contact with you? Yeah, so um, on my website is Brian D. Stems. Brian's with a Y, so B-R-Y-A-N-D is my middle initial for David. Sims is S-I-M-S, so BrianDStems.com. Um, you can get in touch with me as well as find a link to the book. Uh, the book is on Amazon, both um, print as well as Kindle version. Uh, you can also get it at Barnes & Noble um, online uh, or in the, I mean, you can order it. Um, so that, that, uh, those, those few places are, um, you know, easy spots to find it. And are you still taking coaching clients, whether it's individuals or organizations and yes, absolutely. And so the coaching organization that I, uh, have helped build and, and work with is called SLI spiritual leadership, Inc. Uh, been doing this for 22 years now. And, uh, in, in addition to me, we've got a whole cadre of coaches that, uh, are trained to, to work both with individual leaders toward this kind of uh, transformation as well as with teams and organizations. And uh, yeah, we uh, definitely have space for, for more. If there are folks that are interested, would love for you to reach out. You can find spiritual leadership, uh, spiritual-leadership.org um, is our, uh, our coaching organization's website. Again, just want to thank you. And again, I've known Brian for a number of years. We actually designed a, a degree together once upon a time at Asbury Seminary, the Masters of, what was that even called? Master of Arts of Leadership or something, or That's MAL, right. I think. And so, and I know that Brian uh, practices what he preaches. So highly recommend his resources, reaching out to SLI, their Spiritual Leadership Institute, and, uh, and check out BrianDSims.com. I'll have all of these references and links in the in the show note today. Uh, Brian, so great to spend some time with you. Grateful for who you are in Christ and how you share your gifts with the world. Well, thank you, Brian. Appreciate the same things about you and really, really enjoy being on this with you. Well, thank you. And friends, thanks for listening all the way to the end of this episode. And until next time, show up, pay attention and know that God's got way more invested in all this than you do.
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. If you found this episode helpful, would you please share it with friends through your social media networks, as well as leaving a review to help other people find it? If you're interested in any of the resources mentioned, please check out the show notes. And let me again remind you, if you're interested in contemplative practices, my latest book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence, Can Change Your Life, is now available in paperback or on Kindle. Recommend ordering it off of Amazon. If you want to do a large order, I would reach out directly to Paraclete Press. Ask for Sister Estelle, and you can get some deep discounts if you're interested in buying Say any quantity over of at least three or more copies, you can get good discounts directly from Paraclete. Thank you so much for the privilege of serving you, and we'll see you next time.